Hello, and welcome to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast. My name is Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined today by Chi Lo, Senior Economist, to talk about China. And I think it's safe to say at the beginning that it's been challenging for China the way it's been challenging for many countries uh, over the last year. Particularly in China, you had floods last year, which affected growth. Uh, pretty much all countries are dealing with higher inflation, higher energy costs. But now China has the additional burden of trying to manage the latest outbreak of COVID infections uh, in the country as it persists with its zero COVID policy, which at least until now has been very successful. When we look at the pressures that China is facing in terms of GDP growth, uh, in fact, in the first quarter, GDP exceeded expectations, despite what's going on with Omicron and despite higher energy prices. That said, Chi, what are the major risks that you have identified at the macroeconomic level? Now, the big question that we want to um, answer uh, from the macro perspective is, uh, can China deliver? Because the Chinese authorities uh, set the growth target for this year at 5.5% in the National People's Congress in March. And there have been a lot of um, concerns about whether China can actually achieve that uh, uh, growth forecast for this year because there have been a lot of downward pressure on Chinese uh, growth. And these pressures have been uh, intensifying. Uh, from the policy side, uh, we've seen policy drags from China's zero COVID policy. And then there's also the carbon reduction uh, measures that China has promised. Uh, so these are all drumming up to policy drags uh, on growth um, because they are dragging down on consumption, dragging down on, uh, on production and so on. And there's also the prospect of uh, slowing export uh, growth going forward, uh, because either because global demand will be hurt by uh, central banks tightening, especially in the developed markets area, uh, or uh, because of the um, rest of the world going back to uh, production normal, so that they don't need to buy that many things from China. And then within China, we are also looking at uh, property market problems in China, uh, which has created a lot of uh, defaults and bankruptcies and so on, hurting investment uh, sentiment, hurting investment appetite and so on. China's property market, especially in the residential market, has been going through quite a sharp correction in recent months. So that is, you know, uh, 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 that could uh, spell trouble uh, going forward if the Chinese authorities mismanage this correction because the Chinese property market accounts for between 25 to 30 percent of China's GDP. So there, there's this concern about the, the, the property market um, going into a crash, um, hurting uh, investment sentiment uh, going forward. And of course, uh, we are still going through, uh, China is still going through the regulatory tightening, although we believe the worst uh, is behind us. We are still looking at tailwinds from the regulatory tightening, especially on the internet uh, tax sector in China there. Uh, and then um, in terms of policy easing, there has been insufficient policy easing until recently by the Chinese authorities. And we can see from this insufficient policy, credit impulse has been in negative territory. That doesn't mean that Chinese um, liquidity is contracting. It only means that the amount of new liquidity flowing into the Chinese system has been less and less. 
So uh, that, that shows that there's not been a lot of liquidity floating around to allow China's growth to, um, to bank on. Now, these are all the, the pressures that we've been seeing in the Chinese economy for quite some time. Now, we have some new pressures come on. Most recently, the outbreak uh, of Omicron, there's a big blip uh, in the uh, Chinese um, daily new confirmed COVID-19 cases there, and that has brought forward um, you know, more uh, uh, restriction on mobility and more lockdowns. So that will cause more disruption to consumption and to some extent uh, uh, production as well. And then we, uh, China is also uh, facing this surging energy costs uh, coming out of supply side disruption, coming out of all these uh, geopolitical tensions and so on. Now that translates into a terms of trade losses uh, for Chinese uh, purchasing power because rising energy costs obviously takes away uh, a lot of the purchasing power from uh, from the people when they have to pay more for uh, energy uh, and related costs they, they, so that they have less um, um, left in the uh, pockets for uh, spending. Now, let's get quickly into uh, this zero COVID policy that I mentioned, which is a policy drag on uh, the Chinese uh, uh, growth um, um, area there. We are unlikely to see much change in the zero COVID policy drag in China. Um, we just, China has just uh, had the Winter Olympics, big gathering there in China. And then we also had the National People's Congress and the NPC, which is another big gathering of thousands of uh, party leaders uh, and, and, and party members uh, in China there. And then later this year, uh, likely in October, November this year, there is the 20th Communist Party Congress. And this Congress is especially important this year because uh, there is a leadership change uh, being planned uh, and the leadership change will be considered um, uh, within this, this Congress. And then once when all the plans are made, they will be approved by the next National People's Congress, NPC, which will be held in March next year. So there are many very important political events, big gatherings that China or Beijing can hardly risk any infection um, uh, by any of those senior leaders. So risk aversion is the key uh, uh, um, practice here uh, that will likely dominate during uh, those major elections, which implies that the practical policy option for the Chinese uh, leaders seems to be you know, keeping the zero COVID policy um, unchanged to make sure uh, uh, infections will be kept to the minimum. So any changes to the zero COVID policy will basically depend on the development of anti-COVID vaccines and you know uh, infections and so on. And Beijing may relax some of the policy restrictions between now and the uh, and the twentieth uh, um, uh, party congress, depending on on these uh, factors there. And you know uh, um, any relaxation may come in the form of uh, allowing some more business travel, personal travel within China, or opening up the international border a little bit, uh, as you see uh, what Hong Kong is now doing. Um, China has also tweaked the zero COVID policy, which is very strict, to uh, what uh, it calls now the dynamic zero COVID policy, which is more flexible than the pure zero COVID policy that, you know, if there are cases uh, are discovered in certain areas, those areas will be locked down, but not the whole province uh, as China used to do in the past year or so. So what we are seeing is some policy flexibility that uh, China, uh, the Chinese authorities are allowing, uh, trying to, 
to lower the costs of uh, this zero COVID policy and a policy drag on, on growth. As the government tries to offset the impact on growth from the coronavirus restrictions, uh, clearly monetary policy, fiscal policy are some of the key primary tools. Uh, that said, really, we need to know, though, whether China has enough ammunition uh, to continue monetary policy easing, particularly when the Fed and other major central banks are raising rates. Now, in terms of monetary policy, the, the PBOC, the, the People's Bank of China, is trying to facilitate uh, by easing up uh, more policy as compared to what it has been doing over the past uh, 18 months or two years. The PBOC has started accumulating uh, foreign exchange reserve assets by you know, buying up FX assets. Now, this is all in the name of intervention in the market to prevent the RMB from appreciating further. Now, the flip side of that intervention is you know, for the PBOC to buy foreign exchange, release more RMB so that the appreciation pressure of the RMB can be curbed, but the impact in terms of foreign exchange accumulation is obviously there's there's an increase in foreign exchange reserves accumulated by the by the PBOC so this foreign exchange reserve uh, foreign exchange intervention is actually adding liquidity into the chinese uh, economy and in our view this is a much more effective liquidity easing policy by the PBOC than the uh, selective interest rate cuts and so on so we expect this uh, um, FX, continue, uh, FX intervention to continue to add liquidity to, to, to the Chinese system as part of the policy easing going forward. And most, more importantly, is also that we saw a sweeping set of policy statements by the Beijing senior officials vowing to stimulate economic growth by easing regulatory crackdowns on property market, on the tech sector, and support even support uh, the, uh, the the property market. So. What it tells us, all these policy messages, is that protecting growth is now of paramount importance because the 5.5% uh, growth target is indeed under a lot of downward pressure. And now, instead of seeing as many players in the markets do that this 55 growth, uh, 5.5% growth target is being not realistic, we see it as um, a, a policy message of assuring the market that there will be more easing coming in the coming months in order, in order for China to achieve that 5.5% uh, growth targets. If there is any pressure to undershoot that growth targets, we will likely see more policy easing. So this is a, a more of a policy, more, more of a positive um, inter- interpretation of the 5.5% uh, growth targets that we get out of the, um, uh, the NPC. So um, Beijing is prepared to amplify policy easy that's what we are talking about so we, we we've seen front loading of um, um, uh, government bond issuance with the funds going to fund infrastructure investment uh, and so on and Ch- the Chinese government is also um, cutting taxes cutting interest rates although selectively um, and and also cutting the uh, bank reserve requirement ratio which we believe there will be one more coming uh, soon uh, for the banks there. Uh, the Chinese government is also e- e- uh, is even easing uh, property market policy, which it has been kept quite straight. 
we've seen some local governments easing up on property uh, market lending, cutting mortgage interest rates, um, uh, allowing uh, more flexibility for uh, migrant workers to become residents of a certain cities so that they can uh, start buying property in those areas. So all these uh, policy moves that we've seen in the past few weeks, actually, uh, it, you know, they, they are giving out a very strong uh, uh, policy measure that um, um, the authorities are prepared to amplify, uh, amplify policy easings to help growth. Now, because of this uh, um, more easing policy mode, uh, we expect China's credit impulse, uh, that the credit impulse in China will continue to recover. We've seen some recovery in the past two months, and we expect that uptake will continue into the next uh, 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 half a year or so, so the credit impulse will likely get back to positive growth um, um, after mid-year. So that is actually um, some positive news there uh, for Chinese asset uh, market recovery because we are expecting more uh, a growth momentum. We're expecting more uh, liquidity coming into the system there. Now, from an, an, from an inflation perspective, there is no obstacle to monetary policy easing in China because there's no inflation in China. Now, despite high PPI uh, inflation in China, we have not seen any spillover from PPI to CPI. And as far as monetary policy is concerned, the PPOC is targeting CPI inflation, but not PPI inflation. And the, CPI, uh, and the PPOC does have a, a, P, a CPI inflation threshold of 3% a year above which the PPOC will start tightening and below which the PPOC will start easing. China's CPI inflation has hovered below 3% persistently. There's, there's no um, uh, CPI inflationary pressure in China. Inflationary expectations in China is well anchored and PPI inflation is peaking. It's been coming down from double digits uh, inflation rate now down to uh, eight, 9%, and the market is now expecting PPI inflation to go back down towards the five, 6%, if not lower. Um, there's, you know, of course, there's the, the, the energy price uh, factor that one has to, to consider, but barring any significant rise in oil prices and energy, energy prices, China's PPI inflation has rolled over and is supposed to be uh, behaving much better um, going in, uh, into the second half or second half of this year. So we are not seeing any inflationary pressure are pushing on uh, China to tighten up. Now, this is a complete, a, a total different policy picture in China as compared to the developed market central banks, especially the Fed, the Bank of England, um, and, uh, and also the ECB, who are all in uh, tightening mode. Now, there's been a significant amount of liquidity already injected into the economy. Where does that leave us in terms of deleveraging, which we know has been off and on a key priority for the government for several years? Will the government be able to revive credit growth the way it's done in the past? Now, this policy divergence between China and the developed market central banks, as presented by the U.S., is actually driven by fundamental differences between the two systems, that in China, we are seeing weak growth momentum, lack of inflation prompting the PPOC to ease. But over to the US and in the developed market, most of the developed markets except, except Japan, we are seeing strong inflation, we're seeing strong labor market, we are also seeing still strong short-term growth momentum prompting the Fed, prompting the BOE, prompting the ECB to, to tightening up. 
and and the Fed uh, is expected to be the most hawkish central banks among the three, as compared to the BOE and the ECB. So, question is, you know, is this policy divergence uh, sustainable? In our view, yes, it is uh, it is sustainable, which means that going forward, we are still likely to see. China continue easing on the back of the continuation of policy tightening by the Fed, by the uh, developed market central banks. So the implications from all this is that uh, we see a benign liquidity uh, um, situation in China un unfolding. So that's uh, certainly positive for fixed income uh, market in China. In terms of the stock market, while the U.S. stock market is facing a policy tightening environment in the coming months in China, the situation is different. The Chinese stock market is walking into a benign liquidity environment, which, in our view, should help it to recover. Other things being equal, of course. Thanks very much, Chi. Uh, let me summarize, if I may, some of the key points that you've shared with us. Uh, you pointed out that Omicron clearly is adding to the downside risks for China's growth outlook. But at the same time, uh, Beijing is likely to ease up on its zero COVID policies later this year. The risk that GDP growth undershoots the 5.5% target, however, is rising, which then calls for bigger doses of policy easing. Beijing does have the tools to boost growth, including infrastructure investment, cutting taxes, interest rates, and so on, uh, and also may take measures to reduce the strength of the currency and also finally, ease restrictions that are currently affecting the property market. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you'd like more information, please reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact or check out our Investors Corner blog. For listeners who have devices with Alexa, you can ask Alexa to enable Investment Insights or search for Investment Insights on Amazon under the category Alexa Skills. My thanks to Chi for sharing his insights. Please join me next week when I'll be speaking with Pam Wu about the outlook for U.S. small caps. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.